Hey, great to see you. My name is Alan. Uh, if you're new, uh, it's uh, Alan. If you're not new, um, I did something uh, I've never done before last Sunday. The reason I wasn't here is I was foolish enough to run in the uh, P.F. Chang's marathon gig. <laughs> now I got to be uh, kind of fully upfront. I did the half marathon, not the like super weirdos who did the full marathon. But uh, first time I'd ever uh, ran more than uh, five miles was in the preparation for this. Uh, never run in a race before. Never had numbers on the front, and uh, it was it was an incredible time. It was it was quite the experience. The whole thing for me, uh, uh, not that you came on Sunday morning to hear about this, but uh, you're stuck. Um, it started off great for me. I mean, it was a beautiful Sunday morning. There's thousands and thousands of people, 30,000 runners doing this half marathon, and the, the energy and the excitement was just amazing. I did exactly what I was told not to do when the thing started, is I, I, I ran a little bit faster than what I had intended uh, on the first part of it, and uh, but everything was just going so great. I was passing people, having a great time. I was actually praying for people while I was passing them, because they were so slow, and <laughs> I really was. I wasn't expecting that. I was just, I remember this, this older guy, uh, he was hunched over and he was doing his thing. I almost patted him on the back, but I thought, no, that's probably condescending. I don't know the etiquette here. And so I was praying for him. God, would you just give him the strength to not fall over and die? And I mean, the whole thing, I was praying. It was just awesome. I was waving to the fans, my fans. I was... I was rocking with the bands. I passed my family who gathered at one point with me, and I did this when I passed them. I don't know why I did it. It's got it on video. I'll forever be humiliated by that, doing the whole thing. It's my own little uh, running thing. I was just zipping. I was doing great. And then mile 11 came. My plan for the whole race was to... Uh, give it all I had at the very end to kind of kick it in, and I'd been uh, uh, training and practicing so that for the last mile or so, or three miles, that I would kind of have a little extra energy and kind of rush over the, over the finish line. My goal was to leave it all on the course, that I would finish the thing with absolutely nothing left. The reality was that I left it all on the front end of the course. <laughs> And when I got to mile 11, I had nothing left. The tank was empty, absolutely empty. The only reason I continued to move was just kind of muscle rote memory. And, and I was told, I was told when you cross the finish line, they got pictures and all that kind of stuff. Raise your hands. Don't look at your watch. Don't look down and smile. I, I, I was thinking about this for the last half a mile. Raise your hands and smile. And, and I, the picture of me was my hands about this high, going like this. And that's all I could get out. I really, I wanted to do this. And all I came out was, Egh. that's all I had. Absolutely nothing. But now, the whole, uh, oh, and the last mile, I'm running and people are passing me. That, that old guy who was hunched over. He's passing me, looking up, doing this thing. And I look over and I think, I prayed for you. I, pray, I shouldn't have prayed so hard. And so, but the whole thing was an incredibly thrilling experience. And very humbling. It was humbling to be surrounded by incredible athletes, incredible runners, to know that I had put X amount of work into this and folks are just zipping by me. Today we're talking about humility. If you're new with us, we are taking all of 2011 to look through God's whole shebang, God's overall story, and we're looking at the characters in the story. This morning we're looking at the character of Moses. 
And uh, Moses is really the main character. Other than God, Moses is the main character in the Old Testament story. Uh, he is the, he's credited as the author of the first five books, which are referred to as the Pentateuch, the very core of Jewish scriptures. He is the main character in the main story in the Old Testament, and that is the Exodus story. This first section of the whole shebang is called the Exodus. It is about Moses' story of freeing the people from slavery in Egypt. Moses is really the big dog in the New Testament. Uh, it says that Jesus is even more worthy than Moses. He was saying this to this was said to a Jewish audience who understood just how big Moses was. Moses was the big dog, and the bigger they are, the bigger we are, the bigger we get, the more we need to embrace the character issue of humility and understanding who God is and where we fit in this whole deal. We're going after humility this morning. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we are thankful for your story. And once again, we enter into it with humility. God, may we not enter into the story of Moses assuming we, we understand all this. We've, we've seen the movies. We've heard it all. God, would you come and surprise us? Would you come and move us and form our character this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kind of setting for the story is that the people of God, the Israelites, find themselves in slavery in Egypt. And the story that we've been looking at so far, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, is the formation of, of the people of God. And it's a family that grows and grows and grows and grows, grows in numbers, grows in power. And now they become thousands upon thousands in Egypt, and they're a threat to the Pharaoh. So the Pharaoh puts them in slavery. And Moses is a Jew. He is an Israelite who, great story, you'll have to look at this another time if you're not familiar with it, but he becomes a part of Pharaoh's um, uh, castle, if you will. He gets raised with the Egyptians. He gets the education and the opportunity of the Egyptian elite, of the Egyptian royalty, but he is Jewish. And we're going to jump in our story in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. And then we're uh, jumping in on chapter 2. Beginning in verse 11. Again, Moses has grown up as Egyptian royalty, but he is a Jew. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked, them in, uh, he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So let me pause here for just a moment. Moses, afraid for his life, now leaves Egypt and he goes to Midian. He is there for 40 years and he becomes a, a shepherd, a lowly shepherd in Midian for 40 years after having grown up 
in Egyptian royalty. It says down in verse 22, he says, I have become an alien in a foreign land. This is a huge transition for Moses. He goes from the very elite to the very low. He goes from Egyptian royalty where he says, I am the man. I am going to save my people from slavery. I have the education. I have the opportunity. I have the strength. I have the willpower. I am going to do it. I'm him. He goes from that to I'm worthless. I just need to walk away from this. And I have no part in that story whatsoever. See, neither of those things are humility. Neither of those things. It is not humility to say I'm worthless. Oh, look at how little and small and insignificant I am. That is not humility. Humility obviously isn't saying, wow, look how powerful I am. It's also not saying, look how worthless I am. Moses had not learned what humility is yet, but he's moving in that direction. My guess is that most of us in this room can identify with both of those extremes that Moses had experienced, the high and the low. I love my job. I love what I get uh, to do here, and, and a part of that is, is being able to uh, connect with you all on Sunday mornings, and I love being able to, to read and, and enter into God's story and to have opportunities to uh, hopefully uh, encourage and challenge uh, us here as we do life together here in this place. But it's hard for me to describe just how awkward it is when I have a bad Sunday, how awkward it is for me when I have a bad sermon. It's just kind of funny because I, I come around, I interact here or in the lobby or whatever, and, and you all, you pretend like it never happened when it's a bad Sunday. It's really interesting. We, we all do. We kind of just pretend like you weren't just sitting here for a half an hour. And, 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 and so uh, what I can just see it on your face. Don't mention the sermon. Don't mention the sermon. And then we talk like as if we had just run into each other in the mall or something. And then you'll, and then you'll say, so... How's the weather? Man, it's getting chilly out there. I mean, it's just like we just kind of bypass the whole thing. The whole thing is just a little bit awkward. I have a buddy who is a pastor who says those are his I'll never preach again sermons. And what happens is we start to consider other occupations because obviously we're not very good at this one. And so I think each of us has those days where we feel like we are the Egyptian royalty and we have those days where we feel like we are a lowly shepherd. Moses is in Midian, in the desert, for 40 years. And then he encounters the burning bush. And this is a story that most of us are probably quite familiar with. And now this jumps in on chapter 3. God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. Verse 10 This is God saying, so now go, Moses. Chapter 3, verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of slavery. Verse 11, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then God deals with that concern. Jump to chapter 4. Moses says in verse 1, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Jump to verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Verse 13, uh, Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Anyone but me. 
We have such a different posture coming out of Moses at this time. He is just such a different person than the Egyptian royalty who said, I am going to kill or, st- or move aside anyone who's getting in my way of rescuing the Hebrew people. Here, he's being called by God and he's saying, anyone but me. Anyone but me. He, is, he has been transformed in the desert here. He's a different person. I remember when I was in seminary. Seminary is uh, graduate school for theological training. And it was a very humbling experience for me. I had done pretty well in school until I got to seminary. And I was very intimidated by the professors, by the other students, because I didn't, I didn't talk like them. I didn't read like them. I didn't think like them for the most part. I really, uh, often in that journey, I didn't feel like I, I, I fit. And I, um, I felt like they were smart and I wasn't. And then I, after three years, I graduated, perhaps from some clerical error, but I did, I did get through, graduated uh, seminary in uh, 1997, and then after a few years of ministry, what I realized, and it was very helpful, I felt that God had, had encouraged me in this way, what I realized is that I was just different, uh, is that they had certain gifts that I didn't have, and I had certain gifts that they didn't have. And so in God's economy, we were different, and, we, and so they could do their thing, and I could do my thing. Well, something, I've kind of on to a third phase of that whole process over this past few years. And the third phase of that is for me not to dismiss what I had a hard time learning before. In other words, I have much to learn, and maybe now that I'm a little bit older, I have a little bit more understanding of life, etc., maybe I can embrace some of the things I had a hard time embracing before. I have much to learn. It doesn't mean that because it was hard then that I can just write the whole thing off. And I have much to offer. I have much to learn and I have much to offer. My guess is that a number of you here in this room could uh, need to admit, would have a hard time admitting that you have much to learn. That maybe it's a part of your work culture to give an, an, an era that or an aura that you have it all, that you know everything, that you are the go-to person. Or maybe you're so insecure that you think that's the story that you're supposed to leave, lead in your life. And it's hard for you to go to a place of humility to admit that you have much to learn or something to learn in a certain area. And my guess is that there, there's others of you here in this room who have a hard time admitting that you have much to offer. That sometimes there's this dysfunctional humility that brings us to a place of feeling that we have no value, that we are worthless, that we don't have something to offer. Again, humility is, is neither of those, of those two extremes. Humility is saying, I have much to learn. I have much to offer. Humility is saying, I have much to learn, much to offer. Susan Loken is the one who coached a group of us to do the marathon deal. And she coached us, um, uh, particularly getting close to the race, she's saying, remember, there's always somebody faster than you, and there's always somebody slower than you. There's always somebody faster, there's always somebody slower. Run your race. I read a blog this week about the whole marathon. It was somebody who lived in that area where the whole thing was happening, and this person was complaining about the, the garbage and the litter that was happening as, a, as part of the marathon, which is not really founded because they have amazing volunteers who scooped everything up. They're also complaining about all the roads being closed on the Sunday for them to get around and trying to get to work and all that. 
And then in the blog, this person continued to make the observation. So here we have thousands upon thousands of people running in a race. They, there's no way they can win. And that was this person's point. And as I read this, I thought, I never had a thought I was going to win this thing. Never an inkling. The guy who won it was like twice my speed. There's no, we weren't even close. I was there to run my race. That when we enter into that comparison game, it just blows away the character strength of humility. But humility says, I have much to learn and I have much to offer. I'm going to run my race. So, Moses, through humility, responds to God's invitation to rescue uh, the Israelites from slavery, from slavery in Egypt. And he, in humility, approaches Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And here is the Exodus story. Pharaoh says no, and Moses, by the power of God, God starts to um, unveil these, these ten plagues, the locusts and the frogs and the, the darkness, and then ultimately in the tenth plague was the... Uh, was the Passover, the death of the firstborn. And finally the Pharaoh says, go, 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 go. And then the people are freed and they end up uh, crossing the Red Sea and the waters part. You've seen the movie, the whole kind of deal. This kind of this central story of, of Israel's history. And right after this all happens, God provides food because the people are hungry. The Israelites are hungry. And God provides it in the form of manna. And I've talked about this before, but the beauty of manna in Israel's story is that it was there every morning that God wanted to say through manna, say, I am your provider. I will provide manna every morning in a double portion before the Sabbath so that you don't have to worry about it. I don't want you to collect more than one day's amount of food. I will provide. You can trust me. Trust me every day. Trust me. Trust me, don't take more than what you need because the next day I will provide again. Trust me, trust me, don't take off without me. Don't get cocky and overconfident because you've had some experience where you really realize you have a lot to offer and then boom, thanks God, you've set me up well, I don't need you anymore and boom, take off. God says every day, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. The position of humility is a position that says, I have much to offer. And from the perspective of the Israelites, they were God's people. This was the, the family, the people that God chose to bless the entire world. They had tremendous to offer to all of humanity. And they have much to learn. God says, trust me every day. Stay with me. Stay with me every day. I want to jump now in the story to Exodus chapter 18. Moses, while he was in Midian, he married a Midianite woman named Zipporah. He called her Zippy. Uh, there's no biblical evidence of that, but that's what I would have called her. So, so he married uh, Zippy and this, where we jump in in chapter 18 is now Moses is leading the folks and his father-in-law comes to visit him. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 7. Exodus 18, 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. 
and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. This is like when family arrives on an airplane and at the airport it's a great, glorious encounter. And yay, oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, you've grown and the whole thing is just so wonderful. Then we jump down to verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. In other words, he went to work. This was his job. He went to work as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. Ever notice how when family visits, the first day is very different than the second day? That, that sometimes the first day is the, yay, so glad you're here, wow, how much you've grown. And then days three or five or whatever are very different. Now, uh, that's not my experience because both my parents and in-laws uh, are here this morning. So, um, <laughs> but I've heard from other people that that can be their experience of this kind of deal. Because we've got Moses. Moses, this is the one. The man, he rescued the people from slavery in Egypt. This is Moses. He took them uh, through the Red Sea. He is leading um, uh, between four and six million people. He's the leader of this whole thing. This is his job. He's Moses. He got to be played by Charlton Heston. This is the Moses. And then you've got his father-in-law whose name is Jethro. (laughs) Jethro comes for a visit... Jethro is not Jewish, never been Jewish, never been a part of Israel's history, not part of this family. He's never been in slavery. He's never led four to six million people. He doesn't know so much about what Moses is doing. Comes one day, comes to visit him at work for one day, and he says, you're doing it all wrong. (laughs) Let me reread this. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. And he goes on to explain to him, saying, You need to appoint leaders over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And then they need to take care of the simple and minor issues and save the more complicated, difficult issues for you. Otherwise, you all will get burned out and this whole thing is going to fall apart. It's a great leadership management principle that is rooted thousands of years ago here in Scripture. You need to divide this out. You can't do it all. You need people to help. It's a great deal. Jethro offers the right advice. But it takes a man of humility to hear it. Jump to verse 24. There's two miracles here. Moses listened to his father-in-law. That's miracle number one. (laughs) 
and did everything he said. Moses was in a place of strength and humility to do what Jethro said. My guess is that most of us, either subconsciously or not, we put people in two categories. We put, these are the people that we can learn from. These are the people we can never learn from. And in this category, we're going to put our doctor. We're going to put our colleague who's better at what we do than, than we are. The one who's better, the one who's more successful. Yes. We're going to put the, the, the friend of ours who has a cleaner house than ours. Okay, these are the people we can learn from these folks. And then over here, we're going to have people like the neighbor who yells at her kids and who drives her kids two blocks to go to school on a beautiful day. And we watch that every day. Not that that's a personal experience for me. <laughs> two blocks in a suburban. And we put that person in a category. And, and maybe it's the client or the customer who gets on your last nerve. Or maybe it's your in-laws, as it was for Moses here. That was the example here. This is this category of people that we are not going to learn from. And a person of humility says, God can teach me. I have much to learn from them or them. Who is it in your life who perhaps has something to teach you through God? God wants to teach you something through that person. If only your pride would get out of the way. Is there perhaps an unexpected person in your life through whom God wants to teach you something. Being in the position of humility means that we wake up in the morning and we say, okay, God, I have much to learn today. What do you want to teach me? However, through whoever, God, I am in a position to learn from you. The story goes on. I'm going to jump now to Exodus chapter 32. What happens between Exodus 18 and 32 is that Moses goes up Mount Sinai. And he goes up and he chisels on the, uh, the Ten Commandments onto the tablets. And he's up there for quite some time. I mean, you can just imagine how long it takes to chisel onto the tablets. It takes long enough to write out the Ten Commandments, if you've ever done it. But to just go... And that's the, the cross for the T, for, for thou shalt. And you're just, I mean, it would take quite a while. And the people who are waiting for Moses, they grow impatient. And what they do out of their naivety is they create a little god out of gold. They gather their gold together and they make a golden calf. And Moses comes down after quite some time. And he is furious. And he throws the tablets down. He's so furious. And then he's more furious because he realizes that he just broke them and he spent all this time working on them. He's mad. And here's what he has to say. Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. Moses had to cool down a little bit. The next day, he said to the people, you have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. 
So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. If not, blot me out of the book you have written. Here we see a glimpse into the depth of Moses' character. He's saying that this whole story is not about Moses. It's not about me. That this whole world-changing event that I got to be a part of that will be passed down from generation to generation to generation that we now talk about here millennia later, that story is not about Moses. That story is about God. And Moses here is saying, God, would you, I'm willing to let you delete me from this story. Delete me. Erase Moses from this story in order to accomplish your purposes. That is a position of humility. And he needed that kind of strength to handle what was to come. Because ironically, that's ultimately what happens to Moses. We find in the next book, in the book of Numbers, we're not going to go there, I'm just going to tell you the story or remind you of the story. Moses disobeys God, and it's not a huge uh, thing to disobey. God said this, and Moses just simply didn't do it. And as a result, God said, you will not be the one to take the people into the promised land. Moses, you've done well. You've come right here to the very edge of the promised land, but someone else is going to finish the job. Your part of this story is done. And that, that next part of the story, that next person, that's the character that we're going to take a look at next week. You won't want to miss it. But he says to Moses, you are not going to be able to finish this job. Moses is the key human character in the Old Testament story, in the Exodus story, in the Pentateuch. But it's not about him. If you were here with us last year and we went through the unwritten section and a reminder that you are a key player in the whole shebang in God's story. You have a key significant role in your family, in your place of influence, in your work, with your friends, etc. You have a key role, but the whole story is not about you. It's not about your legacy. It's not about your name. It is about God. And the place of humility is saying, I have much to learn, I have much to offer, but this is not about me. It's not all about me. The Israelites left Egypt, left slavery in Egypt, and they traveled in the desert for 40 years. And the Egyptians had a name for those Israelites. They called them the Apiru, or the Dusty Ones. The Egyptians called these Israelites who left, they called them the dusty ones because they were in the desert for 40 years. We are the dusty ones. We are the dusty ones. We are not the polished, shiny, perfect trophy sealed up, in the, uh, up on the shelf somewhere. We are messy, dirty, imperfect, in need of humility. We are... The dusty ones. When I was in college, there was a popular worship song that was a part of the college ministry that I uh, did and playing guitar and all that kind of stuff. And it, it was called Shine, Jesus, Shine. 
Some of you might remember that song. It was a real happy song. Shine, just up with people kind of thing. Uh, song. And the point of that song was saying that Jesus is the one who is to shine. Jesus is the one who is to shine. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He is the light of the world. We are not. We are the dusty ones. It doesn't mean that we're useless. Dusty things are not useless things. You have much to offer. Now, some of you 30 minutes ago when I said the topic for this morning is humility, you checked out because you thought humility, that's the last thing I need to embrace or learn about because my life is so hard. I feel so low about myself. I don't need to hear or learn anything about humility. No, humility doesn't mean that you crush yourself down to nothing. A part of humility is embracing the beauty of who you are, that you have something to offer. Don't ever forget that. But humility also embraces the fact that we have much to learn. May we enter into our days with humility saying, God, what do you have to teach me today? We are the dusty ones. We are going to have imperfect days. We're going to have days where we miss, where we make mistakes, etc. We are not the perfect gold trophy on the shelf. We are the dusty ones. May we in humility remember we have much to offer and much to learn. Would you stand as we close here this morning? I'd love to pray with you and then dismiss you. Bow your heads with me. Father God, thanks again for your story. Thank you for the story of Moses who was so powerful, yet you taught him the incredible character trait of humility. That through his years in the desert, etc., he learned that he truly does have much to offer. You've called him to something significant, but you, you also have much to learn, teach him in the process. And that he took that role on with great humility. Father, I pray for persons in this room who need to embrace this morning that they have much to learn. That, they would, that, that we would all remember that we're not too old, too smart, too experienced to be in a place where we can learn from many others, perhaps others who are not as good at what we do, perhaps those who are younger, whatever, that we would be at a place of humility to say we have much to learn. You're not through with us yet. And I also pray for those in this room who need encouragement today, a reminder that they have much to offer. Father, I pray that hearts would be warmed by your reminder today you have created them for an amazing purpose. We each have much to offer. And it's according to the character of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.